Chapter Fifty: Disparaging the Pioneers. It is possible to relate that which has happened in connection with the past experience of the people of God, and so relate it as to make their experience assume a ludicrous and objectionable appearance. It is not fair to take certain features of the work and set them apart from the great whole. A mixture of truth and error may be presented in so doing, which our enemies would handle greatly to the disadvantage of the truth, and to the hindrance of the work and cause of God. Let none of our brethren imagine that they are doing God's service in presenting the deficiencies of men who have done good, grand, acceptable work in laboring to unfold the message of mercy to fallen men for the salvation of perishing souls. Suppose that these brethren have weak traits of character which they have inherited from their deficient ancestors. Shall these deficiencies be hunted up and made prominent? Shall men whom God has chosen to carry out the Reformation against the papacy and idolatry be presented in an objectionable light? The banner of the ruler of the synagogue of Satan was lifted high, and error apparently marched in triumph. And the reformers, through the grace given them of God, waged a successful warfare against the host of darkness. Events in the history of reformers have been presented before me. I know that the Lord Jesus and His angels have, with intense interest, watched the battle against the power of Satan, who combined his hosts with evil men for the purpose of extinguishing the divine light, the fire of God's kingdom. They suffered for Christ's sake scorn, derision, and the hatred of men who knew not God. They were maligned and persecuted even unto death, because they would not renounce their faith. If any one presumes to take these men in hand and to lay before the world their errors and mistakes, let him remember that he is dealing with Christ in the person of his saints. A rebuke to an Adventist author: You have made public the errors and defects of the people of God, and in so doing have dishonored God and Jesus Christ. I would not, for my right arm, have given to the world that which you have written. You have not been conscious of what would be the influence of your work. The Lord did not call upon you to present these things to the public as a correct history of our people. Your work will make it necessary for us to put forth labor to show why these brethren took the extreme position that they did, and call up the circumstances that vindicate those upon whom your articles have laid suspicion and reproach. You have given a distorted view. You were not in the early experience of the people of whom you have written, and who have been laid to rest from their labors. You have given but a partial view, for you have not presented the fact that the power of God worked in connection with their labors, even though they made some mistakes. You have made prominent before the world the errors of the brethren, but have not presented the fact that God worked to correct those errors and to set the objectionable matters right. Opposers will be glad to multiply the matter which has been furnished to their hand by our people. You have arrayed the errors of the early apostles, the errors of those who were precious in the eyes of the Lord in the days of Christ. In presenting the extreme positions that have been taken by the messengers of God, do you think that confidence will be inspired in the work of God for this time? Let God, by inspiration, trace the errors of His people for their instruction and admonition, 
But let not finite lips or pens dwell upon those features of the experience of God's people that will have a tendency to confuse and cloud the mind. Let no one call attention to the errors of those whose general work has been accepted of God. The articles you have presented are not of a character to leave a true and fair impression upon the minds of those who read them concerning our work and our workers. God's children are very precious in His sight, and those who by pen or voice weaken the influence of even the least of those who believe in Jesus Christ are registered in heaven as injurers of the Lord Himself. Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. We need to remember that we should guard carefully our thoughts, our feelings, our words, our actions, lest we wound and bruise the Savior in the person of His saints. For He has told us plainly that He identifies Himself with suffering humanity. Not one of God's faithful ones will receive the honor of a crown of life in the kingdom of glory who has not passed through severe conflicts and trials. Everyone who wins in running the race for the immortal crown will have striven lawfully. Turn not weapons on Christ's soldiers. We are to direct the weapons of our warfare against our foes, but never to turn them toward those who are under marching orders from the King of Kings, who are fighting manfully the battles of the Lord of Lords. Let no one aim at a soldier whom God recognizes, whom God has sent forth to bear a special message to the world and to do a special work. The soldiers of Christ may not always reveal perfection in their steps, but their mistakes should call out from their fellow comrades not words that will weaken, but words that will strengthen and will help them recover their lost ground. They should not turn the glory of God into dishonor and give an advantage to the bitterest foes of their king. Let not fellow soldiers be severe, unreasonable judges of their comrades and make the most of every defect. Let them not manifest satanic attributes in becoming accusers of the brethren. We shall find ourselves misrepresented and falsified by the world while we are maintaining the truth and vindicating God's downtrodden law. But let no one dishonor the cause of God by making public some mistake that the soldiers of Christ may make when that mistake is seen and corrected by the ones who have taken some false position. God will charge those who unwisely expose the mistakes of their brethren with sin of far greater magnitude than He will charge the one who makes a misstep. Criticism and condemnation of the brethren are counted as criticism and condemnation of Christ. Letter 48, 1894. Increased light imposes increased responsibility. In this day we have been privileged to have increased light and large opportunities, and we are held responsible for the improvement of light. This will be manifested by increased piety and devotion. Our loyalty to God should be proportionate to the light which shines upon us in this age. But the fact that we have increased light does not justify us in dissecting and judging the character of men whom God raised up in former times to do a certain work and to penetrate the moral darkness of the world. In the past, the servants of God wrestled with principalities and powers and with the rulers of the darkness of this world and with spiritual wickedness in high places, 
the same as we who bear aloft the banner of truth do today. These men were God's noblemen, His living agencies, through whom He wrought in a wonderful manner. They were depositaries of divine truth to the extent that the Lord saw fit to reveal the truth that the world could bear to hear. They proclaimed the truth at a time when false, corrupt religion was magnifying itself in the world. No occasion to depreciate character or excuse sin. I could wish that the curtain could be rolled back and that those who have not spiritual eyesight might see these men as they appear in the sight of God, for now they see them as trees walking. They would not then put their human construction upon the experience and works of the men who parted the darkness from the track and prepared the way for future generations. Living down in our own generation, we may pronounce judgment upon the men whom God raised up to do a special work, according to the light given to them in their day. Though they may have been overcome with temptation, they repented of their sins, and no opportunity is left for us to depreciate their characters or to excuse sin. Their history is a beacon of warning to us and points out a safe path for our feet if we will but shun their mistakes. These noble men sought the mercy seat and humbled their souls before God. Let not our voices or pens show that we are disregarding the solemn injunctions of the Lord. Let no one depreciate those who have been chosen of God, who have fought manfully the battles of the Lord, who have woven heart and soul and life into the cause and work of God, who have died in the faith, and who are partakers of the great salvation purchased for us through our precious, sin-bearing, sin-pardoning Savior. Speak not of mistakes of living or dead. God has inspired no man to reproduce their mistakes and to present their errors to a world that is lying in wickedness and to a church composed of many who are weak in faith. The Lord has not laid the burden upon men to revive the mistakes and errors of the living or the dead. He would have His laborers present the truth for this time Speak not of the errors of your brethren who are living, and be silent as to the mistakes of the dead. Let their mistakes and errors remain where God has put them, cast into the depths of the sea. The less that is said by those who profess to believe present truth in regard to the past mistakes and errors of the servants of God, the better it will be for their own souls and for the souls of those whom Christ has purchased with His own blood. Let every voice proclaim the words of the first and last, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. John heard a voice saying, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Revelation 14.13 The Review and Herald, November 30, 1897 Compiler's Note this council was written to a worker who had published two articles in the Review and Herald, April 3 and 10, 1894, under the title, Danger of Adopting Extreme Views.